so in, in Galatians 6, we'll start in about verse 12, and maybe we'll just read a verse or two and then walk down through the end of this. As many as desire to make a fair shoe in the flesh, they constrain you to be circumcised, only lest they should suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. For neither they themselves who are circumcised keep the law, but desire to have you circumcised, that they may glory in your flesh. So as we think about this, and, and really this whole letter, I, I tried to think last time we were here, maybe it was your homecoming, uh, but maybe we were in this book even then. But a letter that Paul has written to the church at Galatia, and the Judaizers of that day, uh, you know that the Jews had really a, an outward religion. And I, I believe you can see that in Jesus' day it had become more of a business to the majority and to the mainstream Jew. And the Lord went in the temple twice in His life and cleansed it and turned over the money changers' table and those that bought and sold because... There was a crowd down there. You couldn't offer Gentile money. You couldn't offer Roman coin at the temple. They had a money changer down there. You bring your Roman money, they'd change it for the currency of, of the Jews, and that's what you could offer to the temple. And they're making profit off of everybody that comes in. And if you, if you needed a lamb, they had people in the temple. They'd sell you the lamb. And it'd be guaranteed to be accepted to the priest and... This is sufficient, but they're profiting off of that. And so everything in this religion, it, it had become a business. Instead of a from-the-heart service to God, for the majority, it had become a business. And, and Christ comes on the scene, and He is exalted, He's crucified, buried, and resurrected, and the New Testament gospel begins to be preached. And you know, the gospel that Paul preached was a complete and a sure and an eternal salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. That someone comes to Christ, is placed in Christ, and from that day forward, the, the outward religion, the outward ceremony was no longer needed, but that soul had a completed, finished salvation in Jesus that, that could not be taken away. And so as, as that gospel began to go out, the, the Jews said, well, we can't go that far. You see how that is? We need some kind of dependence on us and on the law. So there were these that, that had come to Galatia. And if you look through the book of Acts, I believe they're going to follow Paul just about everywhere he goes. They're going to come from Jerusalem unto Antioch. And they're going to come to these places and they're going to try to corrupt the gospel of Jesus Christ by saying, well, yeah, you can, you can put your trust in Jesus. You can believe in Jesus and in what He's done. But if you're really going to be saved, after you do that, you're going to have to be circumcised. And you're going to have to keep the ceremonial law. You've, you've still got to observe the Passover. And you've still got to come down to the temple and, and do all these services that in Jesus Christ was fulfilled. There was no need for a sacrifice at the temple any longer. There was no need for a, a Passover 
lamb in remembrance of coming out of Egypt anymore because Christ was the literal Passover. And Christ was the sacrifice for the day of atonement. Christ was that 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 brought me into a pleasing state with God Almighty. And yet tradition now and the tradition of people would cause them to hold on to the Old Testament and the Old Testament ways and say, well, well, we'll, we'll believe in Christ, but we can't go that far. We can't go as far as to say everything is in Christ. We want to still depend upon the law. But this is what, this is what Paul says here. As many as desire to make a fair shoe in the flesh... So that's to make a good display. You know what they want to do at the shops down on Main Street? Whether you're in Asheville or anywhere, they're going to have a big window out front and they're going to make a good display because they know as you're walking up the sidewalk, what you see there, that, that's going to draw people to come in. Well, that's what the Judaizers were interested in. They weren't interested in any real substantial service to God. They weren't interested in, in being pleasing to God through the Word, but they wanted a good display that looked good to those that would pass by. They wanted something that would be acceptable to the natural, and this is in the flesh. This is all in the workings of man. And you know, you think about the flesh. This is... I, I, I don't know, I, I've seen it more lately than I ever have in my whole life. How, what a nothing that the flesh is in the scheme of the service of God. Right. So God says in, in Isaiah, I believe, God says that the heavens is my throne. The earth is my footstool. And where's the house? So here's a God now that all of the heavens, is, that's not His house, that's not His palace, but that's His throne. And all of the earth is His footstool. And you're telling me that me, with my hands, and you with your hands, or Solomon with his hands, and all of Israel, they're going to build a house that's sufficient for a God that's of that size? Is... Is that any way possible? And Solomon himself recognized that in building that house, that this is not sufficient for the glory of our God. So the flesh and all of the flesh's works is unable to please God. The, the very best, the Old Testament says, man in his best state is altogether vanity. And also he says that all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. So the very best the flesh can do is, I would say, less than insufficient. It's an abomination in the sight of God. Jesus says Himself in Luke chapter 16, He said unto them, Ye are they which justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For even that which is highly esteemed among men is abomination in the sight of God. So what they were they were coming, and this he was speaking to the Pharisees there, but they were coming to make a fair show. They wanted the, the people that were passing by and looking with natural eyes to think, boy, that man's got it in order. 
that man is a real man of God. That's somebody that's, that's got their life together and they're living right. And that's the way the Pharisees did. They made broad their robes. They, they wore the colors and the phylacteries and the, the veils around the edges of their garments. They wanted as, as anybody that passed by and looked on them, they wanted them to know I'm the best of the best and I live to the letter of the law. But God knows their hearts. And see, there, there's the problem with a, a fair shoe in the flesh. A nice window dressing's all right, but when you go inside, what's in there once you go in? He said, you're like the whited sepulchers. You've been painted up and pretty on the outside, and inwardly you're full of dead men's bones. So you know, the, the fair show in the flesh, the, the good display that's for me and you is all that's for. That's for people that's around about us. That's for our family. That's for people in the church. But when it comes to God, the fair show gets us nowhere with God Almighty. Because God is looking deeper. I think of the Scripture in Samuel. That There's David's eldest brother there. And he's standing there. And I, I would imagine a man's man. A warrior. A man that's in the military. That's a warrior and fighting for Israel. A man's man. And Samuel looks on him. And Samuel thinks, boy, here, here's the man. Look at what a man that God's chosen. And God says, don't. Don't look on the outward appearance. Don't look on his stature and don't look on his height. I'm not judging outwardly. I'm looking inwardly at the heart. So you know, even though we can have the right words to say outwardly, that appeal to those that are round about us, God knows what we're really like inside of our heart. God's been in the store. God knows what's within us. So think about now how vain that a fair shoe in the flesh is. But you know what they would do? They constrain. So that word means to necessitate. It's necessary now, if you're going to be a part of Christ, that you be circumcised. They are going to constrain you to be circumcised. They want them to conform to the Old Testament law. And all of the preaching of the New Testament was contrary to that teaching. That, that, that ceremony was no longer required. In Christ, the Jew and the Greek, men and women, slaves and free men, uh, the, the rich and the poor, they were all made one in Jesus Christ. And what the flesh was made no difference. Whether we are lifetime church members or we've been sinners out in the world, that makes no difference once we're brought into Jesus Christ. One's not better nor above another. But what matters is whether we're in Christ. So they constrain, they would necessitate you to uh, be circumcised. Why? lest they should suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. So what's going to happen? Well, as Paul preaches this New Testament gospel, all of the Jews despise him for it. The Sanhedrin despise him. The high priest 
despise Him. Because what He's preaching is taking followers away from them. He's cutting down their business. You can even see that said. Uh, I, I, I can't remember what city they were in, but there was the woman that was the, the soothsayer and Paul told the devil to come out of her and it had cost the, the, those people a great amount of money. You can see that with the Lord Jesus in the country of the Gadarenes. He cast the devils out of legion and the swine run off the herd and down into the sea. And while that's cost me a great amount of money, we'd like for you to get out of here. So the, the Lord knows. The Lord knows the heart of man. And the love of money turns out a lot of times to be the root of the problem. And so here... Business is suffering because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In reality, if all of Israel, the natural state of Israel, had believed the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, they wouldn't have needed a temple anymore. They wouldn't have needed a high priest in the flesh any longer. They would have needed no sacrifices. They wouldn't have needed any feasts because Jesus would have been their sufficiency for righteousness unto them. And so when Paul begins to preach that in Christ all righteousness is found, the Jews are angry and they're out to get Him. You know, Paul was one of those before God changed him. Paul was out to persecute and to cast in prison or to have stoned all of those that he could find that was of this way. They were opposed to the tradition and to the thinking and to the ways of the Jewish people. But that's, that was the gospel of the Lord Jesus. And here are men that are more interested in what their countrymen think about them than they are the truth of God going out. Man's more concerned. Now, that's what's going on in Galatia. You see that they're, they're constraining you to be circumcised lest they be persecuted. So they're going to go to these and say, well, look, we're teaching our people that they've got to be circumcised and that they've got to keep the law so that when it come down to it, they wouldn't have to suffer like Paul was having to suffer. They were worried about their own reputation and their own skin more than they were the truth of the Word of God. Now, ought that, ought that be the case? Should I be more concerned what you or what other preachers or what churches in the community think about me or whether or not I'm preaching the Word of God? The Word of God ought to be first and foremost. And if it ruins my reputation among man to preach the Word of God, then we ought to just let our reputation be ruined and stand on the truth of the Word of God. That's the, that's the way Paul was. But you see, these men here, these Judaizers, they're compromising the truth for the sake of man and man's opinion. And so he says, for neither. Now listen, let's... Let's bring it down to where they are. For neither they themselves who are circumcised keep the law. So he says in Romans chapter number 2, verse number 25, For circumcision verily profiteth if thou keep the law. So what's been lost here 
is what true and actual righteousness is in the sight of Almighty God. Remember, Jesus said, you're judging outwardly, and that which is highly esteemed among men in God's sight is an abomination. And so here he says, circumcision profiteth if you keep the law. Your religion profiteth if you're perfect in every facet of your life. Man would like to trust in his works, trust in his attendance, trust in his morality, and trust in his uh, praying ability. Man would like to put some trust in what I've done. I'd like to be able to boast in what I am before you. That's the way man is. Man would like for himself to be boasted in. Paul says circumcision's good for you. It'll advantage you if you keep the rest of the law. See, the truth is in the sight of God, those that are righteous in God's eyes are those that are absolutely perfect. So I can say then, by the Word of God, I can say that I've done something if I've been absolutely perfect. But you know what we already know? If you're of any age, you already know that it's impossible for any man or any woman to be perfect. We recognize, we can go to the Word of God, Romans chapter 3, He tells us completely what man is of his own way. And if you've lived long enough, you're able to look at yourself. And you know what I, you know what I recognize about me? What a sad disappointment that I am to myself. Uh, my brother-in-law, last night, he, he was joking with Morgan, and he said, it's better not to vow a vow than to vow one and to break it. That's the Old Testament Word of God. And he was just joking, but the thought that hit me was, have I ever said I'm going to do something and actually went through with the vow that I made to the Lord? How many vows? I mean, honest to God. Have we kept? I tell you what we are, we're, we're nothing. When you want to measure us up to the standard of God's Word and God's purity and God's righteousness on our own and in our flesh and by our works, we're nothing. And so Paul says here, really it's the Holy Ghost speaking through the hand of Paul, that neither they themselves who are circumcised keep the law. These men are not perfect. They're not doing everything the law says to do. They're not following the commandment to the T. They're not, I say this, they're not praying like they ought to pray. And a lot of times they're not praying like they tell you that you ought to pray. You know how I know that? Because they're men and women just like we are. And of their self, they're just as rotten by the Word of God. They're just as rotten and filthy as I am. So they that are circumcised uh, keep the law, but desire to have you circumcised that they may glory in your flesh. So they're not keeping the law. They, they have well knowledge of that. They know that they're not keeping the law, but they want you to be circumcised so that they can glory 
in what you're doing. You see that? And I believe that happens a lot today. I, I believe man wants to boast in what others are doing and in their religion and in their and look how we've got them walking in line and in order. And look what I've done to, to guide them and lead them in the right direction. They're wanting to boast and glory and exalt themselves. And they're not concerned about the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ and of God going forth. Now wouldn't you say that the head's out of joint when the glory's aimed somewhere other than Christ? No matter where it's at. If it's on the body, if it's on me, if it's on anybody else, if the glory is being focused or pointed towards any other place than the Lord Jesus, then the head's out of joint and it's going into the wrong place. They desire, so they would determine, choose, prefer, or wish that they might glory, that they might boast in your flesh. That they might go before other men and say, look, this is how pure that we are. Every member of our church has been circumcised. We still keep them old traditions of the law. We still keep the old ways of Judaism. And the truth is, in Jesus, none of it mattered. Did it? It was of no value to them before God, but it was all a work to boast in in the flesh. So listen, verse 14, But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. So God forbid. That's... That's one of the strongest statements in the New Testament. To cause it never to be. God forbids that I should glory. Not mom and dad forbids. Not the church forbids. But God forbid that I have any boasting outside of the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because it's the cross of the Lord Jesus that brought every person out of the sin of this world and into the family of God. It was not man that did it. It was not the wisdom of man that drew it. It wasn't man that put the church together. It was ever bit the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul says, God forbids that I would glory or boast in any other thing. Because you leave the cross out and the work of God out, where are every one of us? Am I going to be saved and in the church? Would I be preaching the gospel if the work of God's left out? If, if there was no cross, and we could go even farther and more recent, if God hadn't came to me and convinced me by His Spirit that I was lost and His Son was my only hope, I would have never been saved. I wouldn't have gave a nickel about the church. I'd have never knew any one of you. I'd have never preached the gospel. I would never have any interest in praying. I sure wouldn't have any interest in ever opening the Word of God and studying. So you see, every bit of that is a result of the cross. 
I could boast and say, well, I've studied such and such time this week. Well, that's well and good. But you know, the truth is, if it wasn't for the cross of Christ, that would have never happened. I could boast and say, I've done X and Y and Z. I've had a fella, and he's boasted several times. I've done 437 funerals in my life. Boasting in what I've done. Well, God forbids that I boast anywhere but the cross. If there's any good spiritual work that's come from me or that's come from you, the source of that work was the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. If the cross is left out, then we're still, as Ephesians chapter 2, the first three verses is, we're still under the prince of the power of the air. We're still under the curse of the law. We're still guilty before God. We're as filthy as we ever were. And we would have never had a desire to serve the Lord. But in every testimony today, there's that but God. God spoke to me. God interjected Himself in my life and God opened my eyes and God revealed to me Jesus and God drew me to Himself and brought me out of the world and saved my soul. You know where our boasting ought to be? It ought to be right there. Thank God that He delivered us from darkness. Because if that's never happened and if we're not in Christ Jesus, nothing else bears any weight before God. You can, you can throw all of the works that you've ever done and every sacrifice that's ever been made and, and the baptism that you were baptized with and the church record of your attendance that you've been all of your life and you know outside of the Lord Jesus every bit of that's filthy rags and we are unacceptable with God. The glory is in the cross and God forbids that you glory anywhere else, that you boast, or that you vaunt anywhere else. And you know what man says? Well, now if you preach like that too strong, people's just going to quit the church. Well, but that's impossible, you see? Because he says at the end of that verse, should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom? So by the channel of an act is what that word means. So by the cross of Christ, the world is crucified to me and I am crucified to the world. So you see, it's not just some invisible work that takes place up in glory and there's no manifestation of it. There is a change that takes place to those that are put in Jesus. Paul says it this way, earlier in the book of Galatians, chapter 2, verse 20. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. So Paul says I'm crucified with Christ. Well, just to be clear, he says, yet I, nevertheless I live. So he's not saying that his hands and his feet were nailed to the same wooden cross that Jesus was. That's not what he's saying. But we're looking at a spiritual work. You, you see that. That he has spiritually been crucified with Christ. That as God brought Paul out of sin, out of Judaism, out of religion, out of trusting in his works, 
and put him in Jesus Christ. God crucified Paul's old man. His affections. His lusts. We say that a lot and we think sexual about every time. But what those words really mean is what he loved and what he desired. So Paul's old man, his affections and lusts, what he loved and what he desired was crucified. And he's living now. Not the old man Paul is living, but there's a new creature that's been produced. God has changed him. And now his love and his desire is on the things of God. So see, those that are truly saved... Listen, I'll finish that. This is chapter 2, verse 20 of Galatians. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. So you see that being put in Christ results in a change of nature. That's the work of God. It's not God writes my name in the Lamb's book of life and then says, oh boy, now you do better now that I've done this for you. But God comes Himself and by the operation of His hand, He changes my nature and He changes my desire and now my love and my want, I believe just like it was said by our brother, His desires to be at the house of God. That was never like that before. But when God changes and makes a new creature, God changes the desire of man. And now we come and we're here and we're apart as a result of the cross. Not for me to glory in, but because of the cross and the change that was made, He crucified me to the world. And He crucified the world to me. And I no longer desire that like I once desired that. Now I have a desire to hear the Word of God. Ain't that amazing? That's the operation of God in the heart. So God forbid that I glory save in the cross. Verse 15, For in Christ Jesus... This is chapter 6 again. For in Christ Jesus... Neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. So to avail. That word means to have power or force. So circumcision and uncircumcision has no power or force before God. I realize we're far removed from this day. But for you to say that to a Jew and a Gentile and say, listen, friend, your circumcision and your bloodline back to Abraham, that has no weight in God's eyes. And you're just like the Gentile that's uncircumcised sitting beside. That would have been, that would have been a hard pill for the Jew to swallow. But you know, among man today... It's a hard pill for man to swallow that no matter how long I've been to church or all the good that I think that I've done in this life, that in the sight of God, that's got no weight before God. You know the man that's been to church for 50 years and tried to do good and tried to be moral and tried to be a good dad? If he's outside of Christ 
and you set the worst drunk, drug addict, lawbreaker, wicked man that you can think of beside him, and he's outside of Christ, that before God they are both guilty and wicked and corrupt. And all of that religion has no weight or benefit before God. That's what he's saying here. It's not religion. It's not good works. It's not the deeds of the flesh. But what avails before God is a new creation. The word there, cre- cre- new creature. In Mark chapter 10 is the first place that that word is used in the New Testament. The Lord Jesus speaks it. And this is how it's translated there. Mark chapter 10 verse 6, but from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. So that word references the original formation. The original creation of the worlds. So there's got to be something new done. You know, when God said, let there be light, there, there was never light before. When God said, let the, the land come out from the waters, I'm talking about in the very beginning, all that He's doing is brand new. It had never been before. There had never been fowls of the air. There had never been beasts of the field. There had never been fish in the sea. There had never been trees nor grass. There had never been a sun or a moon. God is creating all things brand new by His own Word in the beginning. Something that's never been before. So that's what He's saying here. It's not religion. It's not works. But what avails before God is something brand new being created that was never present before. You know that's what God does when He saves a man? There is a new creature, a new creation inside of that man. Uh, Peter says we're not born of corruptible seed or of silver or of gold. You know what the Jew trusted in? We carried our gold down to the temple today and we gave it to God and that's going to pay for our sin. Peter said, we're not redeemed with corruptible things, but we're redeemed with incorruptible seed, even the seed of the Word of God by the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. So in that seed now, when God enters into a man or a woman's life, He creates something that's never been before. It's It's not a do better list, nor is it a New Year's resolution to do better. God's making something brand new. I've done better before. I don't think I've ever made it a year. Probably never made it a month. That's the way man is. We're continually trying to fix up something that's fallen and decaying. And I don't mean that naturally dying. That's true too. But I tell you, we're trying to fix up something that's beyond repair. We're sinfully natured and corrupt from our very birth. And we can't fix that. But the Lord, through the cross of Christ, makes new creatures. I know, I know you, you could probably quote the Scripture in 2 Corinthians 5. Where that Paul says, 
Wherefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. It's the same, same words, the same reference as it is right here. He's referencing something totally brand new, being created. Not Now listen, listen, a lot of folks get this wrong. They think that creation is made by me coming to an altar. They think the creation is made by the words I say in prayer. They think that what I do has something to do with the creation that's made inside of me. No, I tell you, I, my thinking was changed before I ever came to the altar. God changed my mind in the pew. And I came to the altar because I had a new mind. And now I was guilty. I'd never been guilty before. I'd always been good. I was always all right. I was always doing till God made a new creature and revealed the cross of His Son to me. So verse 16, and I'll hurry on and I'll hush in just a second. As many as walk according to this rule, peace be on them and mercy upon the Israel of God. So as many as walk that word walk, it's military reference. It's to march in military rank. Don't know if you've ever seen that, whether it be the highway patrol or the, uh, a branch of the military, but they drill them down and they get them to where they, without even really thinking about it, they march in step and in unison and they follow that command of the leader and they're in order. Every man's in his place and they can march from here across a football field and not one of them gain an inch on another. Ain't it amazing the training that man can do? Well, that's what he's referencing here, that the church is walking step in step in the Word of God. It's not that there's a preacher here or there that's in step and the rest of them's out in left field. I tell you where we ought to all be centered on, we ought to be centered on what the Word of God says. And Paul says if they're marching in order after the teaching of the Word of God, then peace be on them. And mercy upon the Israel of God. Do you think that's any different than the Israel from Abraham. So he, he gives us in chapter 4 of Galatians, the end of that chapter, the last few verses, an allegory of Sarah and Hagar. And you see there that there's a natural lineage and seed of Israel and there's a promised lineage and seed of Israel. Paul says, I guess more famously, in Romans chapter 2, that he is not a Jew which is one outwardly and has the circumcision of the flesh. So now God's speaking to us now and He's going to reveal who the real Jew is. There was a large number of people that had the circumcision in the flesh that were not in the spiritual Israel of God. They had been circumcised by the high priest. They had been circumcised by man. Maybe even some back in the old days could say, you know, Moses himself circumcised me. Aaron himself circumcised me. That was the law. They were to be circumcised on the eighth day. But not all of them that were circumcised 
We're a part of the Israel of God. You know, Korah, he was one of Israel. And the princes of the congregation, they rose up against Moses and against the Word of God and against the priesthood and against God's authority. And they said, we can do it just as good as you can. And God opened the earth and swallowed them up. You can read in Hebrews 4 that the multitude that died in the wilderness, they died in unbelief. Unbelievers with no faith in the Word of God. So here in Galatians, he says the Israel of God, he's referring to those. See, circumcision avails nothing in God's eyes. Church membership avails nothing in God's eyes. Good works and righteousness and baptism avail nothing in God's eyes. Where the focus ought to be is whether we're a part of the Israel of God. That God has done a circumcision not in the flesh, but in the heart. And friends, if if there's no circumcision of the heart, and if we're outside of Christ Jesus, you might as well forget about everything that you've done. I'm not saying you shouldn't be a member of the church. Them that are saved, they're born into the church. They are saved and made a part of the family of God. But I'm saying being a part of the church outside of the Lord Jesus Christ is not going to avail me anything in the day of judgment. I must be in Christ a new creature. So he says, from henceforth, let no man trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. I believe you could say this about Paul. I believe his life, the way that he lived, his behavior, the spirit that was manifest on him, you could look at Paul and tell that he was a man of the Lord Jesus Christ. You could tell he was God's man called to preach the gospel by the evidence of it. I, I believe you could say this as well. You could look at Paul's bare back and you could see the scars and the pits and the stripes where he had been beaten over and over and over again and you could see his body. I'd say this is one of his last letters that he writes right here. I'd say by this time his body is just about shot from the abuse that he's took over the years of preaching the gospel. And you could say this, that in his natural body were the marks and evidence of his service for the Lord Jesus Christ. He was willing to be persecuted that the truth of God be proclaimed. He was willing to be hated that the truth of God might continue. He was willing to take a beating that the church of Galatia might know and be centered on the truth of God. And may God help you and I, God help us to cast out our reputation for the truth of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says, let no man trouble me from henceforth. And I I believe, and maybe the application of this scripture, what Paul meant when he wrote that down is, I'm going to go and I'm going to be killed. I bear in my marks the Lord Jesus. His body, He carried the cross. There He was crucified and there He died. 
Paul's going to be took out to the guillotine and they're going to take off Paul's head out there. He says, look, my days are coming to an end. My opportunity to preach is just about over with. He's going to tell Timothy, I've run the race that God sent before me. So God help us. While there's opportunity, God help us to get the gospel out in the days that we have that the truth of God might continue. Don't trouble me anymore. Brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Grace. The Greek word is charis. And it means graciousness. You hear it, unmerited favor. That's true. Grace is unmerited, unearned, unwarranted. I've not given any reason that God should show me grace. If I had earned it in any way, then it couldn't be grace. Because grace is unearned and unmerited. But the meaning of it is His divine influence in the inward man. So when Paul says grace to your spirit, what he's saying is I'm praying that God would strengthen you in your inward man. Because friends, it's already been said, outside of the working of His grace, we're not going to make it. We'll quit and go to the house. They'll beat us. They'll persecute us. And we'll quit and go home because our flesh will not desire to continue in enduring that. But by the grace of God, and by His work in the inward man. You know, He makes me do things that my body, my flesh, my carnal mind does not want to do. Is He able to do that to you? Is He able to cause you to do that that the flesh doesn't want to do? Paul's praying, brethren, I pray that God by His grace and Spirit might strengthen and establish you and continue you down the road that the gospel and the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ might continue. May God help us to pray that for you and I would ask you pray that for us.